0: Is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com/slash new relic. This podcast is also sponsored by RailsThemes.com. Have an app only a mother could love? Check out Railsthemes.com. They're also giving out some pretty cool swag at RailsConf, so find them, get some, and thank them for sponsoring Ruby Rogues.
1: Hello,
2: good morning. Everybody take a seat and shut your pie hole. Good morning. Are we all disappointed it's the last day of Amazing RailsConf. I know I am. Although my feet aren't. Um, So we're going to have some announcements um, before we kick it off to the Ruby Rogues panel, which um, if you've seen those guys, I can't find them. So if anybody could just tell them that they need to be on stage, like now, that would be great. So I think David Black had an announcement. um, And then uh, after we do that, we've got a couple of things I think you're gonna like, and then we'll get started with the panel. So, David.
3: Good morning, I'm David Black. I'm one of the directors of Ruby Central, and um, therefore, in a sense, one of the organizers of this event. I I will say that from my perspective, helping to organize this event has involved a little work and a lot of just watching in awe as other people did an incredible job of putting it together, and we, we've, um, I hope, drawn your attention to some of those people and, and shown them our gratitude. There's a couple that I believe we haven't yet mentioned who are among the, the heavy hitters behind this conference. One of them is Ben Schofield, who unfortunately could not attend the conference, but is your program chair. And if you like the program, you might show your appreciation to Ben for his work on that. All right. Um, also, could you please, everybody, send a tweet to Ben? Seriously, it's at B Schofield. B S C O F I E L D. Do we have exact wording? Miss, miss we, we. I miss you. Wish you were here. <laughs> so we'll we'll flood, will flood we'll spam him with tweets. Um, the other person I wanted to acknowledge is none other than your host Evan Phoenix, who has not only emceed everything, but but has also really. In, in, in a in a very good and benevolent sense, has been kind of pulling the strings around the conference the whole time and keeping things together, and just done a great job. So thank you, Evan.
2: Thanks, David. So. Um... We'll have schedules, printed schedules available. They're being printed right now, so they'll be outside. Um, if you're looking at the schedule online, there is a slight switcheroo, which is actually on the printed one, just so that I'm telling everybody so that you know um, uh, the talk that the first talks that were in H and J have been switched. So Yehuda is actually going to be in Salon H, um, just so that when you're looking at your schedule, you know that if you want to see his talk, it's actually going to be in this first half rather than in the in J, which is in the back quarter. Um I think uh if you haven't uh if you need to check out of the hotel still and you have baggage, you can take it down to the bell desk and they 'll handle it they 'll put it away for you and give you a ticket and all that kind of stuff um, we 've got lightning talks that are at one thirty on on your schedule, so be sure not to wander off be sure to stay for those they're going to be they 're going to be uh awesome they 're going to be amazing i can 't wait for them um, so uh we have two great announcements um that I want to make before uh, I hand it over to the panel. And I need uh, Grace from, cook- uh, from Spiceworks Tyler, to come up here and give me a hand with that. So um, in the past, we've sort of put together RailsConf, um, not at the last minute, but you know, sort of six months ahead of time, we decided we should start a really a good tradition. And that tradition we're starting right now is we're going to announce next year's RailsConf at this year's RailsConf. So, and I, I, I'm going to actually, uh, this is embarrassing. Um, yeah. So, um, I don't have the exact dates on me. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but I'm happy to announce that, uh, and I'll check on the dates and I'll let you know right at the end of the panel but it's going to be May in Portland, Oregon. Is it gonna be two weeks? Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have it for two weeks. It's actually gonna be a commune. Oh yeah, it's in two weeks. So uh, the CFP opens now, it's gonna close in an hour. No, (laughs) no. Uh, embarrassingly, we've actually been moving the dates around because it is a year ahead of time, so that's why I don't have the exact dates in my head. I'd rather tell you a rough date range rather than give you the exact wrong dates and then have to go back. So April 29th to May 2nd. so it's April 29th to May 2nd. So that's those are the dates. Thank you, Chad, my right-hand man. So additionally, um, the first person to buy a ticket... To, or rather to get a ticket is going to be decided right now. So Spiceworks has raffled all of your names off and is going to give give away a ticket to that next year's RailsConf right now. So I'll turn it over to Grace right now. Thank you.
4: Sure. God, I'm a lot shorter than you are. Um, so thank you all so much for stopping by the booth and, and just coming over to learn a little bit more about us. I was really hoping we were going to get a much sexier like. Emmy type award looking thing going on here, but it's just an envelope. Point being, we want to give away a ticket to next year's RailsConf to Stephen. Ze- I'm hoping I'm saying this right. Zeiler, Zeiler, are you here? Woohoo! I think we're going to try to do the same thing again next year. So. Uh, Just stay tuned and and stop by our desk next, our booth next year. We'll be there for sure. Thanks, you guys. Have a great conference. Thank
2: you. Congratulations, buddy. Uh, And so, without further ado, because I know they're going to eat up the entire time and more, I'm going to turn it over to the Ruby Rogues podcast. Are we on? Yeah. We're also
5: doing a raffle. The first prize is a day pair programming with David Brady. Second prize, two days pair programming with David Brady. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Should we do that? You can buy your way out.
1: <laughs> Should we do the intro music? Let's yeah. Music. yeah,
6: you got you to. Music. You got to.
1: Yeah, it doesn't seem to work for uh,
6: Forward button, not the play button. Oh.
0: and welcome to episode 52 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. That's right, we've been doing this for a year. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello, hello. We also have David Brady. Hello. Josh Susser. Hey, everybody. James Edward Gray. Hey, guys. And I'm Charles Maxwood from code.com. And this week, we're going to be talking about what Rails developers should care about. Now, we're going to do something a little bit differently. We're each going to take a few minutes and talk about what we think Rails developers should care about, and then we will start the panel discussion and start answering your questions. So uh, is James first? I'm first, first. All right.
1: Let's see if I can figure it out. OK. So um, this was Josh's idea for what we should do for a topic. And um, when he was explaining it to me, he's all, you know, just tell them what you think is the most important thing. Uh, that they should care about. And I said, well, that's easy. <laughs> so I'm done. Any questions? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, one of the cool things about doing a podcast all the time is uh, you know, we learn so much from each other. I bring guests to them that uh, uh, you know, I want to talk to and learn from, and they do the same. And Avdi brought uh, Dan Cub on the show, so I really learned a lot from that episode. And uh, this was one of my favorite uh, quotes on Ruby Rogues ever. Uh, mm-hmm. All codes experimental. And Dan Cub's really talks a lot about this and how he does little experiments with himself, you know, trying things out over a period of time, and then Grades it, uh, you know, well, that was successful, or nope, that was terrible, you know, and, and learns and improves that way. Uh, and there's lots of great reasons to do that. Uh, you should go listen to the episode for, for uh, what many of the reasons are, but I want to talk to you about a different one. Um, another reason I think experimentation is so important. Um, I want to tell you a uh, story of how something gets invented, something you all know. So, you guys know that Sputnik uh, went up, like, 1957, I think. Uh, and it's up in the sky, traveling around, and... can't uh, get this, there we go. oops. I didn't do that very well. This clicker is left, really... Left, should, left yeah. am the wrong way. Go back. back. There we go. Um, so, Sputnik goes up in, like, 1957, and is traveling around the sky, And then these two guys, the one on the left is uh, Geyer. He's a mathematician. And the one on right is uh, Weifenbach. He's a physicist. They start listening to and recording Sputnik, you know, the beep, 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 beep uh, sounds. And they can hear variations in the sounds. So uh, they decide to use Sheldon. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, They (laughs) use the Doppler effect, which is what Sheldon's dressed as. You like that costume? They use the Doppler effect to determine uh, the speed that Sputnik is moving around, right, by the variations they can hear in the sound. And then they uh, use the slope of the Doppler effect to determine the distance Sputnik is from their known location on the ground, right? And then um, they put all those numbers into their fancy new UNIVAC that takes up like a room in their building, right, uh, and crunch some numbers. And doing that, they basically reverse engineer Sputnik's path uh, through the sky, right? Uh, Then their boss, McClure, he's the third guy in the middle on that picture up top. He says, you guys have found an unknown location in space using a known location on the ground could you do the opposite? Because I have these nuclear submarines. And in order to land a nuke in the right spot, it's kind of helpful to know where my sub is in the middle of the ocean. right? So could we put up a bunch of satellites? And using their known location in space, could we find an unknown location on the ground so we could target nukes? Uh, and then uh, it progresses on. And uh, a president, 30 years later, opens this system up as a great platform everybody can build on and grow and expand, right? What is this I'm talking about? What is it, shout it out. GPS. Right, right? This gives us GPS, which now we all have on our cell phones. right? This is it, uh, invention. This is how it happens, right? Guys noodling around, ideas moving into other ideas, and stuff like that. So. Uh, I think that's why it's an important part of our culture, and we do that well. Um, but let me tell you one other story. There is um, a guy that has Asperger's syndrome, and he writes about his uh, uh, challenges with that uh, disability. Him and his wife um, have this system for keeping track of... Uh, his inability to learn social cues. And so uh, basically, you know, they're driving down the road, he's listening to the radio, uh, or they both are, she's singing along, and he changes the radio, right? And uh, then she's like, seriously, you know? I, I'm singing here, and, and they have this system. And he writes it down in what he calls the Journal of Best Practices. Do not change radio while wife is singing along, right? <laughs> Us programmers could learn from this, right? We could, we could get better with our social skills. Uh, and it's really good. He, um, he, he uses his <laughs> obsession to uh, basically invent empathy, which he doesn't really have, right? Uh, and he's able to c- control it. And that's a good story. But um, it can go too far. For example, uh, one night you know, they boarded out, they have leftovers in the fridge, um, and she comes home from work thinking, oh, crab rangoon sounds great, I'm going to have some, and it turns out he ate all of it, right? So she opens the fridge and she's rolling her eyes and chewing them out, and um, he says, uh, uh, or she says, uh, you ate all the crab rangoon? And he's all, uh-oh, you know, I've screwed up again. And uh, he's, he's getting his journal and, and going to make a best practice. And she's all, no, no, this is normal. You know, you're know, you allowed to eat all the th- stuff in the fridge. And I'm allowed to roll my eyes and mock you. And uh, that's just part of being married, and it's normal. And she actually says this um, great thing to him about uh, what, what that means. And it's this, <laughs> right? <laughs> You should read that for the podcast. Okay. Okay. For the podcast, it says, um, here's your new best practice. Not everything is a best practice, right? And that's kind of part of this whole experimentation thing I was uh, kind of talking about, where I think we want to go. So I started with Firefly. I'm going to end with Firefly because nobody says it better than Mal. Uh, He said, try to see past what she is and onto what she can be. And when Zoe asked, what's that, sir? He said, freedom is what? I just know he's talking about Ruby there, don't you? <laughs> All right, nice. let's pass on. Who's next? Here's a clicker. Chart.
6: Oh, good luck getting this to work.
7: Let's talk about introspection. I, um, I visited Hashrocket last week uh, for a week of, of pairing and sharing knowledge. And it was an amazing experience, but I found myself wondering, as I, as I often do these days, um, why, uh, why me? Why would they invite me here? I mean, um, I'm not the biggest uh, Rails expert in the world. Um, I am far from a, a prolific open source contributor. And when I've, I've asked people, you know, about this, uh, I get answers like this, um, something like, you don't just have an idea, you speak up, you give a name to it, and you explain why. And this makes me think of Kent Beck and the process he described for writing small talk best practice patterns, uh, where he he says, I I wouldn't type a character if I didn't know what pattern I was following and doing. I write five characters and then I go write a pattern, then I write one more character and I go write another pattern. And this is an extreme form of deliberate mindful coding. Now, if there are four words which sum up the polar opposite of mindful coding, I think they're shut up and code and i think in some contexts this can be this can be acceptable you know in the context of a uh, a team you know a project under a a deadline it's it's it can be reasonable to say this but i think in the context of online discussions of software development it's just pure poison cuz when i when i think about online discussions of of software development i think about wikiwiki Wiki. Um, 35,000 pages uh, and counting of people like Ward Cunningham, Kent Beck, Martin Fowler, many others, openly discussing programming minutia since 1995. You can get a pretty broad programming education just from from reading WikiWiki. I know, I did. (laughs) And all I can think of when I I think about WikiWiki is thank goodness they didn't shut up and code. Here's Kent back again. A pattern is a decision an expert makes over and over. Pattern hatching is the process of giving names to the things that we do every day. So I, I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to give names to the decisions you make. And a great way to do this is to write code, of course, Think about the process of writing the code. Reflect on that process. Explain that process to someone else and, and explain not just what you did, not just how you did it, but why you did it, why you made the, the choices that you made. And this can be in the form of, of talking to your pair partner. It can be the, in the form of writing a blog article. And I think this this process of introspection will make you a better programmer and a better communicator. And I think that's why um, introspection is something that that Rails developers should care about.
0: So while he's switching, I, I did notice that a few people wore some funny hats other than us. Stand up, if you, stand, stand up if you have a cool hat on. I see one over here. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's awesome. Nice. Sweet. All right, so,
6: is um, this on? They just know I'm loud, so I've turned it down. Okay, cool. Um, so, I want to talk about Rails career anti-patterns. Uh, how many people are willing to admit that they are fresh off of another programming? I got PHP, boat. Uh, but it could be java.net. Show of hands, how many of you are willing to admit that you're kind of new to Rails, you're coming from another language or, or from no other language? We've got a few hands out there. So, these, these comments are directed directly to you, but they are also valuable to those of us who feel that we've been around the block a few times. Um, being fresh off the PHP boat is not an actual anti-pattern, so if you are, welcome. Um, What is an anti-pattern is trying to program Fortran in Ruby, or Java, or .NET, or PHP, (laughs) Python, C++. Uh, Five years ago, all the Java guys were coming into Ruby, and they were dragging in their dependency uh, injection. All the .NET guys were coming in, and they're dragging in their delegators, and all the Haskell guys were coming in. Okay, well, the three Haskell guys were coming in, and they were dragging (laughs) in function pointers and and all this stuff. And the problem is they're trying to port their programming knowledge to Ruby with their brain in read-only mode. And uh, I did this with C++, I had the very good fortune, I've told this story on the podcast, so I'm going to abbreviate really quickly. But uh, I had the very good fortune of writing a very long C++ program in Ruby. And I did it for the Ruby quiz, which was curated by a guy named James Edward Gray II. Um, which, with a name like the second, you know, when, when he could just be junior, um, you know what you're in for. Um, and boy was I in for it, and boy did I deserve it. And uh, what James really hammered home for me, very publicly on rubyquiz.com, in fact, um, it's still up, is he took a 200, 300 line program that I had written and shortened it to about 50 lines of idiomatic Ruby. And what he taught me is that Ruby's not, I call this a balls language, Um, that's just a great word, Um, but uh, this stands for block-oriented, lexically scoped language. Uh, PHP, uh, C Sharp, Java, dot, you know, uh, Python, C++, these are block-oriented lexically scoped languages. Lisp is not, um, Ruby is not. So you, you can't just learn where the semicolons and braces go and think that you're good. You can't just take what you've learned in those other languages uh, and go. So what I'm saying is learn Ruby. Uh, this is a, a key anti-pattern that I see not just among Rails programmers but among Ruby programmers in general. You have to learn Ruby like it's a whole new language because it really, really is. Because it's got parts in there from Smalltalk, it's got parts in there from Lisp, and unless you know those languages fluently, you need to treat Ruby like it's its own language. All right. The second thing you need to know is that you need to, second or next anti-pattern is not knowing that JavaScript is crap. All right. The language is surprisingly well cocked up for a one-week hackable art but it's the environment. (laughs) As you move from one browser to the next, you have no idea how much stack size you have, you have no idea how much heap space there is until your program stops working. In fact, when Mozilla makes an upgrade, they recently, recently, okay, like a year and a half ago, they were giving, they had a stack size of like uh, like 40,000 and then they changed the stack size to 8,000 and all these functional programs that used a lot of recursion stopped working and there was no way to find out about this except that all of a sudden you were getting bug reports from your users that JavaScript stopped working. So remember, JavaScript is crap. Forgetting this is a career anti-pattern. The next anti-pattern is not knowing JavaScript. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's everywhere and you are going to need it. Which leads me to my third point, which is not knowing CoffeeScript. Because CoffeeScript writes better JavaScript than you do. (laughs)
1: Learn
6: CoffeeScript. Okay. Um, <laughs> letting Rails do the object orientation for you. I don't have time for this rant. We did a whole show on this. Then we did a whole nother show about it. Seriously, kids don't do this. Rails wants you to, g- Rails gives you all these great generators, all these great things. I love all these people that say, oh, I get object orientation and top down and, and it's messages and it's da 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 da. And then they sit down and the first thing they do is Rails generate model. Uh, okay. Next slide. All right. Not joining the community is a key, key, key anti-pattern. I see this especially among the PHP programmers specifically, not just like as an archetype, um, where we go off alone. The .NET guys kind of generally get the idea that they need to be going out to groups, but I hope all of you are going back home to your local Ruby user groups and talking about what you learned at RailsConf. Get into the community, learn what you can. What I'm saying is learn uh, and then turn around and teach. It's absolutely key. All right, last career anti-pattern. Um, you remember the old commercials when you're really good, they call you what? Nobody knows this. This is awesome. Okay, so from, ni- from 1893 to 1986, the answer to this ad jingle was Cracker Jack. Um, and from 1986 to 2005, if you were a C++, C or C++ programmer, when you're really really good, they called you a guru. Then from 2005 to 2010, they called you a rock star. Now, you notice these time periods are shortening, and they're shortening exponentially. From 2010 to 2011, you were a ninja. From March 1st of 2012 to March 1st of 2012. Actually, from March 5th to 2012, backwards in time to March 1st, people found out on March 5th, that this word had come into an existence and they found out about it by by finding out that people were really pissed off about it. Um, You do not want to be a programmer. Okay? There's something about Rails or Ruby programmers that quickly tarnishes any label we put on them, and that's because of arrogance, okay? Don't be a douchebag, guys. That's all I can say. Um, Don't get cocky, kid. And um, that's my entire presentation. (laughs) <laughs> you want to set up? Yep.
3: That's.
5: Okay, good morning RailsConf. It's good to be back. It's been a few years since I've been here. <laughs> uh, so i got to apologize for the hat. I really wanted to wear a hat that um, brought some of the character of San Francisco with me, but I couldn't fit it in my luggage, so, <laughs> so sorry about that. Okay. To this morning, I wanna talk about the, the important quality of prudence, which I think is important to all developers, especially Rails developers. So what is prudence? Well, let's start with the definition. Uh, Prudence is the quality of being prudent. That's not very helpful. Okay. (laughs) Did someone call for a tautology? (laughs) (laughs) Let's push the stack. Um, So being prudent is acting with or showing care and thought for the future. So I'm very concerned about the future. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our lives. More importantly, it's where our code is going to spend the rest of its life. And as anyone who's been around can tell you, way more than half of the cost of code is incurred after you write it. It's maintaining it, fixing bugs, adding new features, porting it to new platforms, all that stuff. So, uh, so prudence is a very important quality in developers. Uh, Now, uh, DHH started us off Monday morning talking about fear of progress and why we should all fear Rails 4. (laughs) Uh, I'm scared. So so he said that um, old guys like me are afraid of change. Uh, and I can call myself an old guy because I've been programming since before David was born. Uh, (laughs) so uh, you weren't, I was you were programming for 1971. Absolutely. He was born in 79, 75. Oh, different David. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Shut up. (laughs) Other David, David Hanson. so he, he said that loss aversion is the pillar of conservatism. Uh, and, um, and then the next day, Aaron came along and told us that experienced developers have a lower tolerance for technical debt. So, well, I think both of these are valid perspectives uh, at times, they didn't really ring true to me for my experiences being a Rails developer. My experience is I have a limited budget for risk in my projects. And so do you, whether you realize it or not. So. What, what is risk? In daily life, risk is whether or not you're going to succeed. If you're walking across the street, do you get to the other side or get hit by a bus? Um, in programming, unless you're trying to solve the halting problem, you can pretty much do anything you attempt given enough time and coffee. So, <laughs> the, the, um, What it comes down to for me is I hate having other people spend my risk budget for me. So when the asset pipeline was introduced in Rails, somebody else was spending my risk budget for me. I had no idea how long it would take me to do stuff in Rails because the asset pipeline kept kept jumping in there and, and extending my schedule unexpectedly. On the other hand, Bundler was a huge risk reduction for me because it took all of that insanity about gem version clashes and just made it go away. So the little bit of effort that I have to put into creating a gem file completely got rid of that amount of unexpected risk for me. So, okay, so no talk is complete without an inspirational quote. Now, Gustave Flaubert, who wrote Madame Bovary, which I haven't read, despite the hat, um, is <laughs> said, be regular and orderly in your life like a bourgeois so that you may be violently original in your work. And this is pretty much my philosophy of how to write a Rails application. I want everything to be simple, understandable, predictable, reliable, in general, so that when I get to the point where I need to do something extreme, I have a solid foundation to work on. You know, it's pretty easy to stand balancing on one foot unless you are on a roller coaster, on a boat, in a rainstorm. So.
1: I don't find either one very easy. <laughs>
5: Okay, point taken. <laughs> so um, I think I had some other stuff to say, but I'm probably over time, so uh, we'll just move on. All right. Okay, thanks,
6: guys. I swear I thought you, I swear you I thought you meant me. <laughs> All right,
0: I'm gonna try and make this quick. Um, when we were talking, I don't remember who said it, but somebody pointed out that Living Social was uh, like this whale in the ocean. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of slurping up all of the Krill developers out there. And every time I think about that, it brings to mind a specific scene from Finding Nemo where, where they're talking to the whale and, and then um, the, the Krill swim by, oh look, Krill, <laughs> swim away. <laughs> anyway, um, so it, it really is a valid thing. I mean, how many of you work for a company out there that is looking for Rails developers? Just raise your hand.
1: Most of the room, by yeah,
0: far. Yeah, most of the room, right? So, is it safe to say that there aren't enough Rails developers for all of the companies that want them? So, I'm from Utah, and I had this idea. <laughs> uh, you know, where, where do we get more Rails developers? We all know that langu- uh, languages are a religion, right? <laughs> So let's go find us some converts. And as I thought about it, I thought about there are kind of two different areas that, that we can go to find people to come into our space. And so
1: <laughs> That's because he's also from Utah. Yeah, David
0: is also from Utah. <laughs> so, so anyway... Um, so we, we need to have these wins in, in specific places. One is we need to de- convince developers to try Ruby and try Rails. The, the other area is, is we need to convince companies to adopt Ruby and adopt Rails. And so my thought is, and if you know anything about me, you'll also know that I'm a huge soccer fan, I'll get to that in a minute. But anyway, um, as, as we're doing this, as we're moving ahead, um, we don't want to slow down and uh, and, and wait for, for these people to come up to speed. I think DHH had a valid point in that we want to keep, you know, progressing, you know. And so if somebody gets out in front of us and says, wait, stop, what about the, the new people? I, I don't think that's the responsibility of the framework or the language. Um, but at the same time, we, I gotta point it at the thing. We need to be able to put this ball out in front of them so that they can score. We need to, we need to be there for the assist. And I think it's the community's responsibility to reach out and make sure that the new developers that are coming in have this opportunity to learn Rails and to pick it up and to really run with it. And we also need to make it easier for companies to have big wins with Rails. And so how do we do that? Well, we have to make it kind of a grassroots thing, right? Um, the companies aren't just gonna pick up Rails because it's out there. So we need developers who are gonna go out there and convince the companies that they work for that they need to be using Rails. So how do we get in with these developers? I mean the the, the newer developers, you know, we have a bunch of things that, that will help them pick things up. We have Hungry Academy, Code Academy, Code School, you know, Railscast, you know, make it very accessible for people who are just learning this stuff to kind of pick it up. But I think we need to kind of take this a step further. You know, we need to go out and find the, those people who are in the heathen religions like Java and .NET, and, and convince them to at least give it a try. And they also have a lot of the things that we kind of take for granted. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with some of these websites. ShowMeDo is a place where you can get a lot of information about Python. Now interestingly enough, they have a whole bunch of content on Ruby and Rails. I think they have the first 15 episodes of Rails casts and they have a couple of videos done by DHH, they're all from 1990, or 1997, 2007. So they're not up to date. Um, I'm actually working with Pluralsight to get them a Ruby and a Rails course, their .net training co- uh, website. JPassion is for uh, Java developers. I went and looked at the O'Reilly School of Technology because they offer online courses in just about every technology except Ruby. And I think it's really interesting that you know, we haven't reached out to these other places and tried to solve this problem where we have way more jobs for Ruby developers than we have people. And the reason this is important is not just so that, you know, we can have our pick of jobs or so that, um, we we need to maintain this momentum. We've had this awesome momentum for 10 years with Ruby on Rails. And it's, it's being adopted by more and more companies and it would be a real shame for these companies to abandon Rails because they can't find developers. And uh, it would also be really nice for some of these companies that you work for to be able to find the resources they need so that they can move ahead in the ways that they need to. And I think it's a really, really important thing for us as a community to reach out to these other areas. And we're not trying to convince them that Rails is better. We're just trying to convince them to try it. And once they try it, then what happens is um, they, they find people, this, and they'll try it for the same reason that Dave Thomas kind of brought Ruby to us, you know, because he, he says try a new language every year, which is something that everybody should be doing, but he also just tried it out because it was this interesting language from Japan, and here we are now. And then as they try it, then they'll take it back to their company, they'll do some Skunkworks projects, they'll, they'll find ways of implementing it within their company, and pretty soon these companies will go, so you built that in a week, and it solves this major issue for us? And, and that's how we get in the door, that's how we make the difference. And as we have more adoption from both companies and programmers, then we begin to, to not only have interesting conversations about where they're coming from, but we begin to solve this problem where we don't have enough people. And we also solve the problem of having more companies that will train developers that they're hiring in Ruby and Rails. So that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Now, one thing that we want to do is we want to open up a community where we can talk to some of our uh, listeners. Um, it, it's also a nice way we decided for people to support the podcast. And so what we're talking about is we're going to open up a mailing list. It's just going to be a Google group. It's going to be a closed group. Um, we're going to have, it, it's going to cost $10 per year, which is just you know kind of your way of helping us out and covering some of the costs of the podcast. But at the same time, you know, we, we're, we want to open up the discussion a little bit more about some of the things that we're talking about and see what your opinions are. So if you go to parlay.com, RubyRogues.com. Um, just put your email address in. It'd be nice if you click some of the share links afterward, but you don't have to. Um, as soon as we have this ready for you to sign up, then we'll let you know. So um, that, that's what we've got going on. But anyway, I just, I just want you, if you have friends that do.NET or Java or anything else, reach out to them. And also reach out to us through parlay.rubyrogues.com. Thanks. <clears throat>
5: We're so, we're technically out of time, but because we got started late, we're going to go, I guess, another 15 minutes or so, so we have time for questions. Hey, like we say, have
1: the hats. They're going to have to drag us yeah, off stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: so, they're, they're going to raise this, make it you got, into a plank. You got, you've got time for questions. Okay, so great. the mic Wait, is up here. I have the yeah. mic. Uh so, we're, so, come up here and ask a great question, yeah. and so, I'll, I'll kick things off. Since okay. no one else is
5: <laughs> well we do we do have questions from online but why don't you oh, do oh, one first okay
2: well then you better start lining up now because though it's going to be a big long line in a sec so get up and run up here
1: the uh, i'll go ahead and hit the first question we saw online ryan bates wanted uh josh susser to define supercalifragilisticexpialidocious
5: <laughs> okay supercalifragilistic. Spiacularious is atoning for educability through delicate beauty. <laughs> he Did so you
1: had to look it up. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing
0: what you can learn on Wikipedia. Can we get a definition for Wikipedia?
5: No. I, I, okay. So uh, the other, let's see, tender love's beard. How can it be tamed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't have experience with beards. Anyone else?
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk to Gorbachev uh, about yeah, it.
7: yeah, we're just going to have to contract that out to Gorbachev. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
5: um,
1: let's see. Th- this was a really
5: uh, interesting question we got from Paul Swaggerty. He said, some of the comments made the other night at the keynote by Rich Hickey I found very interesting regarding simplicity. However, some of his comments seem to violate core principles of good OO design. Specifically, there didn't seem to be much information hiding going on, and it seemed like there would be a lot of passing around clumps of variables void of dry functionality to handle the keys and values being passed around. Am I wrong? Can the two perspectives be reconciled?
1: No, you're not wrong. Next. <laughs>
5: <laughs> All right, no more questions. We're, we're g- <laughs> this is gonna take the rest of oh, our it's, time. <laughs> it's on.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> so I, I, have, I have a strong opinion about this. I, So Rich was talking about functional programming. He wasn't talking about object-oriented programming. The two are very different approaches. Uh, Functional programming is valid in a lot of areas. Uh, My personal philosophy is that object-oriented programming is much better at modeling the kind of problems that we have to solve for the kind of tasks we're doing. Uh, So I'm a much bigger fan of object-oriented programming. Uh, I think functional programming got started in the 50s. It still hasn't become a big success, so I've sort of stopped waiting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've decided that I'm going to define a hash that has like 5,000 keys and pass it to my my methods and see how that works.
6: I I have no problem with OO and and FP. I just monkey patch the hash to have the methods I want.
5: (laughs) That's called JavaScript. (laughs)
6: uh,
1: One of the problems with uh, what I think Rich Hickey was saying is. He he made a false assumption there. He said, we should use this thing because it's the simplest thing possible. Okay, that's true. That thing is simple. But if you take a simple thing plus a simple thing plus a simple thing plus a simple thing, you're not guaranteed to get a simple thing on the other side. Right? That that could be complex. Right? Absolutely.
5: Okay, let's take some um, questions from our adoring fans. Hello. Hi, guys. So I, I want to play a quick game with y'all. I want I'm gonna ask a question, and I want y'all to give good, good advice at the beginning, and then horrible advice at the end. So we'll go down.
1: So backwards from what we usually do. So Avdi's <laughs> gonna <to> give
5: Avdi's <laughs> gonna
6: give reasonable advice, and James, you have to give horrible advice. Okay. Well, I, was you get say, I was gonna say.
5: Progressively worse as you go down the line. What's a good way to use insta- instance exec? Oof.
3: What's what's a good, what's, way,
5: what's to a good use- way to use instance exec? The metaprogramming?
7: Oh boy! What's a good way to use instance exec um, to set up a context for for a DSL that doesn't require an explicit receiver? Good
5: answer. Good answer.
6: Um, with RubyMine. <laughs> 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 oh, now I need like half
5: good, half bad advice. Yes. Right.
1: Right. Um, Let's, oh, uh,
5: instance exec. Uh, you should use it to insert methods into other instances, so you can use it to do a, a def ins, a def method.
0: <laughs> uh, Mostly bad. Semi bad. <laughs> semi bad. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where that is. <laughs> so
5: <laughs> go ahead and go all terrible.
3: All terrible.
0: Oh uh, yeah. The only thing that comes to mind when he said DSL, I was thinking what's the worst DSL in the world in X- XML, so
1: I don't know. To write XML. To write XML. So, and then I have to give totally bad advice for using instance exec. I think we should just instance exec like Rails' API and put it all in one namespace, you know? And it'll make it easy for us to get to everything. Yeah, less typing.
5: Terrible, <laughs> very well done. Less typing.
6: I actually worked on a project where we stored lambdas in the database as strings <laughs> and uh, I think that may qualify as an answer, as a horrible answer to that question. I can one up, I can one up you
7: guys. <laughs> Instance execing whatever you get back from a user input field. Yes. <laughs> yes. Excellent, excellent, thank you,
8: Avdi, thank you. Just teach,
7: just teach the users Ruby and you don't have to do nearly as much work.
6: <laughs> Hi guys, so Thanks, by the way, for bringing up the idea of being a missionary. Um, I think we need to probably go one step further and say it's not just that we don't have enough Rails devs, it's that we don't have enough devs, right? Mm-hmm. So my good friend back home who works at Living Social, Mike Gayhard, he, um, he takes it upon himself to, to volunteer maybe an hour out of every week, maybe more, I'm not sure exactly what his policy is, to teach new devs, like from scratch, just to grow them. And, um, and my question to you guys is, is how, how, as a community, can we start to do that
2: more? So, I've, I've got a few thoughts on this.
0: I mean, we did talk to uh, Jeff Casimir, I don't know if he's here, um, about Hungry Academy. And no, but and...
5: Steve Kladnik is. That's... Oh, that's
0: right. <laughs> I'm never going to live that down, am I? <laughs> So uh, anyway, um, I've also talked to a few other people that have been involved in community um, programs like this. Um, I know that there are programs that teach kids, which I think is really cool. Um, and I think honestly that that is one of the best things that we can do just because we, we expose the kids to programming and then they realize that it's something that they can do and something that they may be interested in so, so we can kind of reach out to them that way. Um, I also talked to a, a woman by the name of Heather Payne. She lives in Toronto and she runs a program called Ladies Learning Code, and they just organize um, like every every few months they have a weekend that people come to and learn how to program different things. I, I think there's a lot that can go on there. I think the other thing is is we we can also just be more open as companies and allow people to come in and see what we do, and really I think the big thing is just kind of opening that spark up and and saying look you know this is something that you can pick up because a lot of people think programming is hard. And good programming is hard, I'm not saying that it's not. But if, if people realize that a lot of the basic stuff is relatively simple and that it's something that they can, they can learn to do, then from there you can kind of move on to, okay, now here's the next level. You know, here's how, here's the point where you can actually contribute value and then you can move into, okay, here's how you, you know, become the, the guru ninja
5: expert programmer or whatever. I got something a little more practical to say. Uh, it, it, <laughs> you're being so impractical, Chuck. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, it's Sa- a gift. Sarah May, are you around t- this morning? The, so I, I gotta put, in, yeah, Sarah, stand up so people can see you. So Sarah's been doing amazing work with RailsBridge doing outreach, training new developers, who have, you mm-hmm. know, some of whom have never developed before. Um, it's, it's primarily focused on bringing women into the Rails development community, but um, if, if you're a guy and you bring a woman with you, you can come to their classes.
0: I'm still developing.
5: <laughs> so, the, um, so, so very practically, one thing you can do to expand the developer pool is go volunteer for RailsBridge and help te- teach their free classes. So go talk to Sarah about that.
6: Another thing I found is uh, get away from the programming waterholes. Go find other waterholes uh, or watering holes where other people are congregating outside of the programming field. So uh, go to your, if there's a launch up event near you or if there's a, a startup weekend or something that's just a, little few, just a few degrees out of the programming niche, you will find people there who have lots of great business ideas who don't know how to program. And these people love it when programmers walk in the door and you can make converts very quickly.
1: I've had that experience too. Like, uh, you know, I'll be involved with some group, a stock club at one point and stuff like that, and just bringing the tiniest bit of technology, giving them a wiki, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. like changes their whole world, you know? Yep.
3: When is the Rails community gonna be half women? Go talk to Sarah. Uh, 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 I already did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, Chuck is uh, converting.
5: Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm
0: still developing.
1: <laughs> no, no
5: I, I don't want to make light of that. I think, it, I think diversity in the community is a really important topic. And, Absolutely. You know, I, I do what I can to support that. Uh, I, I only do what, do, what, do what I know to do right now. I'm totally open to new ideas if you have suggestions. <laughs> want to hear them. Uh, but basically, I just try and treat everyone in the community with respect and give them the opportunities that they merit. Yeah,
6: Yeah,
0: I, I think being respectful and, and things like that is kind of the baseline of what you can do, though. I think, I think things like RailsBridge really kind of get it. They, they don't really kind of get it. They really get it. And um, we, we need to be involved. So, um, somebody this morning said that, you know, the guys just have to be polite and then the women are responsible, responsible for bringing the women. To a certain degree, I think that's true because women tend to look for people that are like them and, uh, you know, want, they're, they're, more, they're more apt to be involved if there's a woman there, but that doesn't mean that we can't reach out to them too. And for some of them, someone like them is just somebody who's friendly. and so. Really, you know, just not just being polite and not just being abrasive isn't enough. I think we really do need to reach out and be the kind of people that they look at and say, "I want to be involved in this community, and I can learn from them." So,
1: it's also really important. Like uh, we interviewed Angela Harms on the uh, podcast recently. Did you guys listen to that episode? All right. Everybody keeps telling us that's like one of their favorite episodes. That she was one of the best guests we ever had. You know, it's really great, and we should definitely be pushing that forward in any way you can. So we're doing what we know to do, and if you know of other things, please let us know because we're, we're interested in that. Yeah.
2: I'm going to use my mic power to uh, expand on this for a second. How, how many in, in this room got started in programming uh, in, let's say, high school or earlier? Raise your hand. So I, I definitely think that we can do, we should do whatever we can to get as many diversified people into the community as we can of all genders. But the problem is that, a big problem and a big thing, if we always try to just sort of do the top people, the people who would already be in programming, um, we're going to really limit ourselves. So that's why I think like Kids Ruby is really the most important thing we can do. Because just imagine if all of the people, you know, like, you know, if there was like a you know, code camp for eight-year-old girls, that kind of thing, as much as there ends up being, like, a more focus on, like, how do we get, you know, like, you know, young boys into programming. That is what it ends up being, so I think that's something to think about, so.
6: So uh, you cautioned against bringing baggage from other languages to Ruby, but what are some good examples of cross-pollination between languages?
1: I think mean, Ruby has a lot of that, right? I mean, uh, let's see, how many languages do we use every day? HTML, JavaScript, Ruby, CoffeeScript, Sass, right? I mean, uh, just those, Bash, right? We use Bash all the time. Any RVM users here? Um, I, th- I think Ruby does a pretty good job of, of uh, using languages for their different strengths, right? Uh, and even, even companies like Twitter that grow up in Ruby and then kind of move on. To other things because their scale gets to the point where it just demands it, you know, as something uh, faster, more efficient. And a lot of times they still use Ruby for the parts Ruby's good at and then try to replace back-end services with um, uh, with something that moves a little faster and stuff. I, I feel like we do a pretty good job of that, but that's, I think, the point I would stress is that we should try to keep everything, you know, in, in roles it's great at. You know, if Node can build a a better server for whatever our particular needs are, then let's, let's use some node, you know, or whatever.
5: I, th- I think Ruby's pretty good at um, bringing in stuff inspired by other uh, programming languages. Rack was brought in from a, a, what was it called? The, the Python, there's a Python. Yeah, it's a big yeah, Python library. Yeah, yeah, what was it? WSGI. WSGI. Yeah, right, WSGI. Mm-hmm. So, so Rack <clears throat> RAC was based on that model. There's a, there's a number of uh, pieces of technology in the Ruby ecosystem that came right from Python inspirations or you know, some things right from Java. The language itself is pretty much a blending of Smalltalk and Lisp with a little Perl thrown in. So it, it's it kind of the ultimate polyglot language. And a lot of Perl. And a lot of Perl, yeah. 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 <laughs> Hi.
8: Hi,
5: Sarah. She's going to set us straight. Thank you.
8: I wanted to just make a quick comment, and and so the first thing I want to say is that I'm trying to get more women into the Ruby community, and the reason I'm doing that is because I think the men in the Ruby community are awesome. I wouldn't be doing this if I thought that I was bringing them into, like, a hostile, irritating environment. So, that's the first thing. The second thing is that the workshops really have two goals in mind, and the first one is to get people interested in Ruby. We get about half people who are already developers but in a different language and about half people that are totally new. And the other thing we do is the other thing that's equally important is that we draw volunteers, mostly men, from the local community, and we want to get them to know the people who are taking the classes. Because if you know someone at a Ruby event, you're more likely to go to it. Even if that person is a man, it doesn't have to be a woman, right? So Uh, we have two sort of equally important things that we're trying to do to bring these two communities together. And you can help by just coming and being a TA and you don't have to be an expert. But I just wanted to say that and thank you for giving me this forum.
1: Sarah, we have a question for you. When will you be coming on the podcast?
0: Yes. I was gonna say, Uh, what do you do with your Wednesday mornings?
8: (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up, tell me when. All right. All right, Uh, will do.
2: Okay, so, so we started a little late, so I'm, I'm kind of letting this run late. So we've got one last question, which I'm sure is going to be, it's going to be a really easy question. It's not going to make, be controversial in any way, shape, or form. And since it's going to be so easy, I'm going to tr- tr- ask you to try and limit your response, just so that we can kind of move on. Okay? Thanks. You can ask.
3: <laughs>
4: so, there was a comment earlier about how, like, functional programming
6: is, sort of hasn't really succeeded since, like, the 1950s.
2: Um,
1: and yet, at the same time, <laughs> part of it heard is, that is, like, people get so
6: thing. hung up about trying to do
2: things in object-oriented programming, but if you really think about it, the languages that object-oriented programming
6: birthed are, like, Java, Eiffel, Smalltalk, and while we use a lot of Smalltalk features, the fact of the matter is, is why should we be concerned about object-oriented paradigm?
2: Shouldn't we be concerned about, like, Ruby paradigm or the Rails paradigm?
6: Wow, so, so this we we're is gonna p- go over time. Ah. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: this has come up a little bit. I don't know if it's ever come up on the show, but you know, we have talked a little bit about the balance between the functional parts of Ruby and the, the OO parts of Ruby and the strengths of both. And so I, I think there is some validity to that where, yeah, we need to think about what, what pieces really you know, lend themselves well to the problems we're
7: solving. So, um, I, I've been thinking a lot lately about uh, why do objects matter uh, since uh, I've been writing about it a lot. And uh, this is the best, best answer I've come up with yet, um, and uh, so I'll, I'll make a, a controversial uh, or a, a strong assertion, uh, which is that all sufficiently large and successful systems evolve into object-oriented systems. Um, and and I'll I'll back that up um, just by saying if you look you know I don't have slides for this right now but if you look at the architectural diagram of any large successful system which usually becomes multiple systems um, you know maybe on different physical machines maybe different processes but usually large you know complex systems become um, something that on an arch, you know on a broad architectural diagram looks like boxes with arrows. In between them, which define, which which indicate well-defined protocols in between these cells of a system. And Alan Kay described his original idea of object-oriented programming as cells sending each other messages. Period. Um, That is the way that we, as humans, divide. You know, think about our large, complex systems um, just sort of naturally in order to keep ourselves from going insane. And, um, and so, you know, I think the question is not so much, you know, why, uh, why care about ob- object-oriented systems? It's more, um, is there merit in reflecting that sort of cellular structure um, down at the lower level as well as at the higher level where it's always going to emerge? And my answer to that is yes.
6: I, just a second what you said, uh, good functional programming and good object-oriented programming have the similar quality of, of keeping things isolated, keeping things encapsulated. In functional programming we call this immutability and you know, distributability. In object-oriented we, we tend to call that you know, information hiding and encapsulation. And uh, I would actually say that Ruby does have a way with this which is that Ruby is very fluid and very flexible and so if you want to attack something from more of an FP approach, sure why not? But, you know, whip, out the, whip out the map, whip out the inject, and, and use it, and then the next problem that you have to solve, you need a lot of state dragged around, okay, well, the, this behavior is gonna be best described by an object, and Ruby switches gears very, very seamlessly between these two, so.
5: Yeah, it, it, JavaScript has that same co, you know, FPOO quality that Ruby does. I think Ruby does a much better job of having the two coexist. JavaScript, uh, the two paradigms contend a lot more. Mm-hmm. So.
7: I'll also say this: like if you read, um, if you read, uh, growing object-oriented orient- object systems guided by extremely long book titles. Um, <laughs> one of the things that they talk about is is that that um, a mix of these paradigms tends to emerge in in, in good object-oriented systems, where the internals of func- of of the methods are very functional um, and and very side effect free, and then and then the, the higher level design um, is dominated by the, the OO paradigm. Yeah.
2: Okay, okay I guys, we're done. I think we're gonna close it there. Let's give the Ruby Rogues podcast panel a big round of applause. Thank you.
5: Bye RailsConf, we love you.
2: <laughs> You're dismissed. <laughs> Uh, so we have another uh, r- quick uh, keynote from Cookpad that we're going to do in just a second. You, wanna come on, you can come on up. Um, and uh, but first, I have a couple of announcements uh, to also make since I've got even more of you now because it's the third day and everybody sort of trickles in late. Um, we still got a ton of t-shirts out there. So here's what I'm going to do for you guys. Go grab a T-shirt. Go grab a T-shirt for your friend, your spouse. Take some back to your company. That's fine. But think about as you take as you take those. Think about you getting a credit from Kids Ruby when you take a T-shirt. And that way, what I want all of you to do is when you take those T-shirts, th- think about going back and saying, "I took a T-shirt. You know what? These T-shirts are worth ten dollars. Maybe for a couple of them, I'm going to give that money back to Kids Ruby." Right? So that, that way, you're sort of giving back for some free stuff that we're giving out. So go pick those t-shirts up and think about that. Um, and the other thing is that, ye- so yesterday, I announced that uh, the dates and the location for RubyConf, and of course, because this is how things go, uh, Matt said that he was unfortunately unable to make those dates. So because we're doing it so much ahead of time, we moved the dates for him. So the new dates for RubyConf, which are gonna be posted uh, probably later this week on, our, uh, on the RubyConf website, it's now November 1st to the 3rd, so it's just basically a week later, so that way we can have mats there, which I know everybody will be upset if we had RubyConf without mats, so I think that's a pretty good reason to do it. And so now, uh, just to keep things moving along, I'll turn it over to Miles from Cookpad. Oh, okay. Actually, he's gonna plug in, so I'm gonna entertain you for a moment. Um, So everybody's had a good good RailsConf, I hope. Um, Who who here has felt like this is maybe the best RailsConf they've been to? Certainly maybe food-wise. Can I hear a round of applause for that food? Oh my goodness. And I'd like to say a lot of people came up to me and said like, you did such a good job on the food I'd like to say like oh yeah it's all me on the food uh, The reality is like I'm up here I'm your happy MC but those those that was all Ben Schofield and Prakash and Leah Silber so if you see them be sure to tell them how much you loved all the food and all the facilities that they put together because it really has been amazing and I, I, I certainly couldn't have done any of this I mean I, I like I said I'm just sort of the smiling face of this wonderful group that I'm so happy I got to work with. So, um, And with that, I'll turn it over to Miles.
4: Thanks a lot, Evan. So, hey, uh, yeah, my name is Miles Woodruff. I'm an engineer at Cookpad, um, and I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about Cookpad and why we're here sponsoring RailsConf. Uh, you can probably tell I'm pretty nervous, and a little bit like the keynote presenter yesterday, uh, I'd like to take a minute and think, uh, and pause, and uh, think, what would Aaron Patterson do, so. <laughs> okay, I think, I think I'm good. So yeah, what is Cookpad? Um, Cookpad's probably the biggest uh, rail site that you never heard of. Um, we have about uh, 15 million unique users and half a billion page views a month. And in Japan, we're the trusted source for 50% of women Uh, in their 20s and 30s to find recipes for their families. The company was founded in 1997, um, and we uh, had an IPO in 2009, pretty soon after we moved to Rails, so I think maybe there's some uh, parallel there. Uh, And we have 100 employees, 40 engineers all working with Rails uh, from seven different countries around the world. Um, So, just wanna talk a little bit about the Cookpad mission. Uh, and we all know that cooking with friends and family uh, really just makes you smile. Um, and if everyone starts using Cookpad and shares their experiences uh, around cooking, we think we can really enrich people's lives. And our mission is simply to improve people's lives through cooking. Um, uh, and that's something that's actually happened in Japan and is part of daily life. Like I mentioned, um, it seems crazy to me that but 50% of all women in their 20s and 30s in Japan are using Cookpad regularly. So if, if you've ever been to Tokyo or seen Lost in Translation, you might know Hachiko Crossing there in uh, Shibuya. And we could, we could probably assume that these people are all heading home to uh, happily use Cookpad and find a recipe. And by searching Cookpad, anyone can find a recipe uh, and, and find it, enjoy new and interesting meals. And um, we want to inspire people to enjoy cooking more and use technology to help them share and find interesting recipes. And going forward, we want to bring this to the rest of the world so that everybody can enjoy cooking more. Uh, And simply, we want to inspire people to cook and make the world a better place. So why sponsor RailsConf? And um, it's just, it's basically you guys and the Rails community has given so much uh, to so many people and, and Cookpad has been a great beneficiary of that and we really wanted to help um, support this conference and get it, get it rolling, and it's been, uh, it's been an amazing experience to be involved with. Uh, we've been using Rails for about four years, like I mentioned, and we love the Rails framework. Uh, and thanks to Rails, I truly believe we've been able to fast, iterate really quickly and provide great features for our users, which then helps us provide a better service, so it's a, it's a true win-win. Uh, and also, you know, in, in the past we haven't been that involved in the open source community, but in the last year we've really been working hard to improve that. So we've open-sourced um, a bunch of our frameworks. There's a great talk at 11.30 um, in one of those uh, corners that I advise you to go to. It's going to be really good about our extension framework. Um, we also host a, a meetup group every month in Tokyo, Tokyo Rail. So if anyone's ever in, in Tokyo, come and give us, give us a shout. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So I just want to leave you with uh, some, some food for thought. And what I really personally love about Rails is that Um, The focus is on creating value for its users, and those values are are us. It's me and you guys that are using the framework. Um, It works really hard to get out of our way and solve real problems for us and improve our daily lives. And similarly, that's our kind of methodology at Cookpad. We want to build services for people that can really solve a problem and improve their daily lives. So my takeaway is this. Take take this amazing framework that we all, all love and we're all here to celebrate, and take the amazing skills and motivation you all have and try and solve real problems for people uh, that can really improve their daily lives. And talk to the underserved people in technology like your family, friends, people who aren't sat in front of MacBooks like me and half the audience. Um, and really talk to them and see what problems you can solve for them. And we can really make the world a better place. So once again, just thank you to the whole Rails community, everybody here, it's been a blast. Uh, We've really had a lot of fun. Special thanks also to Leia and Ben, uh, who I dealt with organizing this amazing job, and everyone else uh, who's working on uh, RailsConf. Thank you.
2: So thanks a lot to Cookpad and all the sponsors, again, for making this such a great RailsConf. So the schedule now is that uh, we're going to do a quick break while they put up the air walls again. Um, There are paper schedules and a big printed-out schedule out here, so you can see what you want to see later today, um, and uh, coffee and such like that. So uh, we'll see you in about 20 minutes in the different breakout rooms. Thanks.